Hey folks, and welcome to episode four, What You Need to Know About Nurses. As we all know, gone are the days when doctors worked in isolation. 21st century doctors work as part of multidisciplinary teams, interacting with other doctors and other healthcare professionals on not just a daily, but a constant basis. One of the longest standing and most well-known professional relationships is of course that between doctors and nurses, who have been bringing together their complementary skills for the good of patients around the world for centuries. However, despite the fact that for the rest of our careers we'll be working with nurses, as medical students we spend basically none of our six years of education learning about how exactly we should do that. As a result, I think we're often awkward as med students in respect to nurses. What exactly is their role? How should we interact with them as students on the ward? And this can continue into the first years of junior doctoring. What can and can't you ask a nurse to do, and who is responsible for what? And to make matters more complicated, with the explosion of clinical leadership roles for nurses in the past 10 or 20 years, there are more roles than ever to get your head around. With all these questions in mind, I've come to meet Professor Jenny Carrier, a professor of nursing at Massey University. As well as being a successful researcher and educator at Massey, she's the executive director of the College of Nurses and chair of the National Nursing Organization's leadership group. She also chairs the National Governance Group overseeing the Health Workforce New Zealand Nursing Workforce Programme and has served on numerous Ministry of Health advisory groups. In short, she's the perfect person to teach us everything we need to know about nursing in Aotearoa today. So welcome, Professor Carrier. Thanks so much for agreeing to come on the show. Well, thank you for being interested. So basically, I've got a list of questions that I'd love to ask you today in no particular order. Um, So let's just start at the top and see where it takes us, eh? Excellent. Let's go. So, first of all, in your own words, what does it mean to be a nurse in New Zealand in 2017? Mm. I think the thing that distinguishes nursing is an absolute primary focus on health and a focus on how you individualise health for people regardless of their culture, their context, Um, their ethnicity, their levels of deprivation. So, but there is something quite idealistic about that. So Mm. we we often, um, the whole undergraduate nursing degree is very closely aligned with the current primary healthcare strategy, which is about eliminating disparities, uh, trying to front end healthcare so that actually we stop having 40% of preventable admissions to hospitals yeah, absolutely. Um, and all the things that you know you know about but we would like to make those and try to make those our primary objective at the same time we also prepare nurses to care for people when they're sick one of the challenges for nursing is that the health system for all it writes primary health strategies is still very illness focused mm. And so nurses often come into nursing with a real passion for primary health care and health promotion and working with people proactively, but find they end up working in illness settings. And that might not actually have been their their, their choice for, for nursing. So, you know, I think nursing's at a kind of, it's, it's soldiered on, always trying to keep that primary focus on primary health care, but 70% of nurses end up working with sick people. Mm. In hospitals yes. being the main thing. Yes. That's interesting to hear that perspective because I think, yeah, as a student, your main encounter with, with nurses inevitably mm. is in a hospital. Mm. Mm. And when you picture a nurse in your head, or, or certainly when I do, it's it's in a hospital setting. That's right. Um, and, of course, that, that shift to prevention and primary care is something that 
we on the medical side are also trying to do. Yeah. But it's great to hear that that sort of same philosophy is mm. not just present in the nursing side of things, but has been for It's It very time. much dominates the education and has mm. done for at least 30 years, I'd say. Mm. Mm. Okay. So while we're on the topic there mm. of education, would you mind just taking us through really briefly the pathway for nurses' education in New Zealand? Sure. Since, I think, 1995, all nurses entering the profession have got a bachelor's degree. Prior to that, it was a diploma. Um, to, uh, and prior to that, prior to 1972, it was a hospital-based training, mm. apprentice-style training. New Zealand's quite unique in that we've got one level of entry to practice. Many countries have still got multiple levels, although there is another category of nurse known as an enrolled nurse. Mm who has a one-year kind of procedural training. And my personal view is that we actually shouldn't call those people nurses. I think that's very confusing. Right. Um, but that's a long story. Um, so the Bachelor of Nursing is the entry to practice level. They then have a one-year entry to practice year in which they are regarded as new graduates, but there are some, there's some degree of wraparound support okay. during that year, and most of them do one postgraduate paper in that year. After that, uh, if they choose, they can come on and do the two-year clinical masters in nursing. And people who do that are going either towards the nurse practitioner pathway or to a leadership role in nursing. Okay. be it a clinical nurse specialist role or a nursing, a, an actual nursing leadership position. And then we have, I, I for instance, have currently eight doctoral students in nursing and most of them are headed for a research or academic career, although there are a number in clinical practice as well. And they would be practising in those same leadership roles? Um, well, if you earlier. think, some of them are nurse practitioners mm -hmm. who've got a PhD. Um, one is a, I know is a clinical nurse specialist working in palliative care. Okay. Um, but most nurses who do a PhD become researchers or teachers. Okay. Mm. So just going back to the start there, so that it's the, the Bachelor of Nursing is, mm. is it a three-year degree? Yes. Yeah. Yep. And so once you graduate, you then are working in a hospital, so you apply for your first job. Well, or you might be working in primary care sure, or aged course, care yeah, or anywhere. Yeah. Yeah. So but, there you go, you can see that bias coming through already yes, in what I'm yes, saying. Yes, um, So you apply for your first job. Yes. Um, and you're then, so you're employed, but you still have support from the university or the nursing organisation? No, no, from the employer. Oh, from the employer. And there are clinical educators in the, in the hospital or whatever environment. The yeah. problem is, is that Health Workforce New Zealand doesn't fund enough places on the on the nurse entry to practice year so not all graduates go through that year right we would like as a profession for that to be regarded as the fourth year of the degree and not to confer full registration until the end of that year but because the funding is inadequate we graduate i think about 1400 nurses a year and i think the funding is for something like nine or nine hundred or a thousand i'm a bit shaky on those exact but that's roughly so right. that's 1,400 a year in, yes. the, in New Zealand. In the whole country. Yes. Right, sure. Yes. Yep. And so a registered nurse is someone who's completed that first year after graduation? No, who, who has completed the degree. Okay, so simply completed the degree yes. makes you a registered nurse. Yes. And you mentioned briefly before an enrolled nurse. Yes. So that so that's a separate pathway in? That's someone who yeah, hasn't Yeah, they've done a completely separate, um, just a one-year diploma program. Right, okay. Yeah. 
And is there scope for them to move up as a registered nurse? They or? would then have to come and do the whole degree. Okay, so it really yeah. is a parallel pathway yeah. that's sort of yeah. quite limited in its, yeah. in its scope. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, are there any aspects to being a nurse in New Zealand that are unique to being in New Zealand? Um, I ask this because obviously, you know, we, we do have yeah. nurses come from overseas to work here, mm. or vice versa, New I Zealand think, nurses I think overseas. it's a really good question. For a start, um, our undergraduate degree makes a big focus on cultural safety and the ability to work with power differentials between health professionals and patients. So cultural safety is about recognising that um, gender, sexuality, ethnicity, all of those things influence the power differential between a health practitioner and the patient. And that's not something we see as a focus of overseas programmes in Mm. the same way. It's quite unique to New Zealand. I think our focus on primary health care in our undergraduate degree is much higher here than other countries. 27% of the nursing workforce is now internationally qualified. For medicine, it's 44%, so it's different. But um, we see that many of those nurses come from countries where they are taught in an incredibly hierarchical system, much, much more so than we are, they are actually taught obedience to everybody, <laughs> whereas we try and teach disobedience. So that 27% of internationally qualified nurses are quite significantly influencing the culture mm. of New Zealand nursing. And we have some interesting talks here in the university with the internationally qualified nurses doing master's degrees because they will tell you that their biggest culture shock when they arrive in New Zealand is that they can't believe um, how uh, undifferential every, all the other nurses are to all and sundry because they've been trained to be so differential. So that's that's quite a fascinating cultural difference. Mm. We sort of moved on there to nursing roles, like the leadership yes, roles. Yes. So, so I'm kind of aware of the clinical nurse specialist and the charge nurse, etc. Roles, right. um, but don't really have a very good understanding of what they're actually doing. Okay. So could you just sort of explain those to me as if sure. I had no idea what I was talking about, sure. which is not far from the truth. <laughs> so there's there are several pathways that you can progress in nursing. So most nurses want to remain in clinical practice. Uh, many nurses remain as a registered nurse for their entire career. Um, some of them become clinical nurse specialists most of those clinical nurse specialists will have a master's degree or at minimum a postgraduate diploma which is in essence half of the master's degree. Mm. Um, The clinical nurse specialist role is not a separate scope under the Act, it's a position description. But the other pathway is to nurse practitioner, that is actually a separate regulated scope of practice. It's mandatory that they have completed a clinical uh, master's degree and it's mandatory that they're authorised into that role by the Nursing Council. They, uh, they put together a huge portfolio demonstrating their competencies and they sit a four-hour oral viva at the end of that process um, and that's usually about a year after they finish the master's degree. And in that master's degree they do a one-year prescribing practicum um, so because they become authorised prescribers which is the same level of prescribing as a doctor. Um, the clinical nurse specialists may now apply to become designated prescribers, which is a narrower level of prescribing against a formulary. Mm. So if they work in with heart failure patients, they'll have a formulary relevant 
to heart failure, whereas a nurse practitioner can make her own decisions about what she prescribes based on her own clinical judgment. And, and a clinical nurse specialist will always have a, a particular area that they are the sort of specialist in? They tend to yeah. be, yes, they'll be an oncology or a heart failure or a diabetes clinical nurse specialist. Whereas the nurse practitioner scope of practice will be much broader, like mm. uh, aged care, primary health care, mental health. Um, that's probably the major areas of nurse practitioners. So they're, they're a little more generalist. Mm. Yeah, and, and that's reflected in the sort of... Um, tougher training pathway yes. and, and, yeah, yes, and more absolutely. sort of scope for practice. Absolutely. Okay. So that's the clinical career pathway. But then other nurses decide they want to provide leadership to service delivery. So they, they tend to become the associate charge nurse, the charge nurse, so they're running a ward, and they may progress on to becoming a director of nursing of a, of a district health board. Right. Or they may be the nurse leader of a big, um, huge general practice or a um, PHO in the primary health care setting or the third way they can go is to become an educator and ultimately an academic or and a researcher so that's sort of the three divisions that exist that's a good way of thinking about it Mm. yeah so the clinical nurse specialist um could you just maybe briefly talk about uh what extra skills they've gained over an rn um to work in that one area of practice okay well as i said mostly at least 50% of them have a master's degree in New Zealand and they would pretty much all, I'd be very surprised if they didn't have a postgraduate diploma. So they've done advanced education in pathophysiology, pharmacology, um, sometimes now prescribing and assessment and clinical decision making, but they've also focused on a particular clinical area to a higher level and they've usually worked for many years in a specific area like diabetes or oncology or whatever and so they they simply have developed both an an education based and an experience based focus on a particular area they tend to be disease oriented we don't seem to have clinical nurse specialists in primary health care okay um the the development there is very much the nurse practitioner role Mm. so speaking of them being more disease focused Mm. is that reflected in their sort of role as diagnosticians or, or gaining roles in diagnostics which I guess is not really a, a part of the role of an RN or perhaps I'm wrong about that no no you're not wrong about that that's that's kind of a that's quite appropriate um, they still practice from a philosophical basis of nursing mm. which is the things that I kind of outlined at the beginning and I'm not sure they would describe themselves as diagnosticians which a nurse practitioner would um, but they would see themselves as managing more complex patients with okay. more complex conditions and of spanning the kind of... Uh, I think clinical nurse specialists work and think in a very integrated fashion. Of great, so who's this person? How are they managing at home with this disease? What's their presenting problem now? How does that change their management? Mm-hmm. Um, who else needs to be involved in their care in the multidisciplinary team? But at the focus is that there'll be patients with renal disease or patients with heart failure, or mm. yeah. rather than being a case of heart failure. Yeah. 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 Okay. I think there's. I think there's a. That's great, and there's a lot to learn there in the role of a clinical nurse specialist for a, a junior doctor or yep. a doctor in training because they're bringing that central philosophy of nursing, being yes. patient-centered, yep. right from yep. day one, which yep. is probably not the case for mm. for, for doctors in mm. training. 
but they also are spanning the gap towards maybe verging into, I guess, a little bit of diagnostics and yep. a little yep. bit more of disease focused as well. Yep. And so, yeah, maybe a sort of good go between there. Yes. Yeah. Very much. Okay. Yeah. That's great. Oh, thanks for that. That's really helpful. And some of the more, most successful roles I've I've seen have been where they've actually followed a patient group across the kind of traditional boundaries. So they might see them at home and in the hospital. Okay. And there've been some uh, clinical nurse specialists in respiratory care and wound care who've for whom that's been hugely successful. Mm. Mm. I guess those kinds of conditions, those chronic conditions, they lend themselves, lend themselves to well. that following that whole trajectory yeah. of care. Okay. Mm. So we've kind of covered the clinical mm-hmm. um, careers there. Um, I'd like to talk a bit more about nurse practitioners later on, sure. um, perhaps sure. with respect to primary care in particular. Yeah. Um, but could we just briefly cover the charge nurse um, and associate charge nurse positions? So you mentioned those as a running award or being yep. involved in the sort yep. of um, service delivery. Mm-hmm. Could you just expand on that? Most charge nurses will be responsible for everything that happens in that ward in terms of the staffing, um, the coordination of care, managing um, the roles of the multidisciplinary team in that ward, um, overseeing the kind of um, admission and discharge process or making sure that someone is, they may not do it, but making sure that someone's taking care of the admission and discharge process. They may be involved in budgetary decisions for that ward. Um, they probably go to a lot of meetings around resources, staffing, equipment. Um, somebody once in a, in a uh, article described the charge nurse as the atmospheric architect of the <laughs> ward. And I, I was a charge nurse for five years of the, of the cancer ward up here at Palmerston North Hospital. And when I read that, I thought, that's absolutely right. The charge nurse can very much set the character of the ward, whether it's a good learning environment for people, whether it's a place where patients feel um, welcome, taken care of as individuals, whether where whereas it becomes somewhere where staff feel that they really learn mm. how to practice effectively. It's a very important role. It's a role that has in many ways been destroyed by the kind of cult of new public management. Okay. We undermined, maybe. Undermined yeah. is a very yeah. good word. <laughs> and many efforts have been made of late to kind of reassert the value of the charge nurse role. They used to be called ward, ward managers mm. in the 90s when the dreadful health reform process occurred. We've kind of reclaimed it by renaming them as charge nurses. Okay. But they still feel, I think you'll find, very conflicted between the demands of meeting new public management requirements that everything's terribly focused on efficiencies and productivity and counting and measuring and their passion for ensuring the quality of care in the ward. Mm. And so I think charge nurses have a really difficult job these days. That is quite a considerable tension, isn't it? Oh, huge. Yeah, yeah huge. Mm. I think as, as students coming onto a ward mm. and as we've discussed earlier, you know, often feeling a little bit sort of insignificant and it's all an unfamiliar environment, mm. We're quite attuned to the environment of the ward, and that can yeah, often and you can see it can it. make or break your experience mm. on day mm. one. You know, what mm. is the atmosphere of this ward? So it's mm. it's interesting to hear that you know maybe the the charge nurse is the architect mm. of the atmosphere, as you mm. said. Mm. And so maybe um, as a student, sort of getting to know the charge nurse, or at least understanding their role a bit better, mm. could be quite helpful. In, in it could, case. and of course, some of them do it really well, and some of them do it not so well. Mm. You know, that's life. Yeah, sure. Mm. So the ACNMs or the Associate Charge Nurse Managers. 
I mean, they're, they're, it's, a, it's not a role that exists in every... I mean, they are predominant where you're working, but mm. I don't think they're necessarily in every hospital. Okay. Here they were an attempt to have some succession planning and to have somebody who could fill in when the charge nurse was away or on leave or whatever. Okay, so a sort mm. of straightforward mm. deputy-type arrangement. Is. It okay. is. There are a couple more terms I just wanted to clarify. We've talked about various roles of nurses that can prescribe, so as nurse practitioners and clinical nurse specialists. Um, I had heard about nurse prescribers as a separate term. Is that a separate no. qualification? That no. just generally refers no. to nurses who are doing... Any, nurse who pres- any registered nurse who becomes a designated prescriber, and most of those will be clinical nurse specialists, but a number of them are working in primary health care as well, and they, they're not designated as clinical nurse specialists. Mm. They are primary health care nurses. Um, they have to have a postgraduate diploma, mm. and they have to have um, completed a prescribing practicum with a clinical mentor who can be either a doctor or a nurse practitioner. And that'll be the designated prescribing yeah. you talked about? Yeah. Okay. And those people might be referred to as nurse prescribers in the practice? or Well, they shouldn't be. I would hope not. Right. <laughs> I mean, I, I would be very disappointed if that became commonplace because it's simply a, a procedure, a, a process, something that you do. Sure, yeah. Um, yeah, I'd be horrified if we started calling nurses nurse prescribers. Okay. Yeah. It's, I think it is something I have heard in various places, mm, well, but not, not all the time. Stamp yeah. it out. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, and there was also, I've also heard things like um, diabetes nurse specialist or um, respiratory nurse specialist. Is that simply referring to probably a CNS who is working in a particular area? It's or? a little bit murky, and, and that's a good thing you've brought up because... In fact, I've just done a huge piece of research in New Zealand about delineating advanced practice. And one of the things we noticed is the huge proliferation of role titles, which are often actually meaningless in terms of they're they're more at the whim of employers than under perhaps our professional discretion. And so there is a tendency to advertise a job with some quite bizarre titles. (laughs) Okay. Um, and I'm always a bit horrified that nurses accept those titles and labels. So, yes, there are diabetes nurse specialists, and in, to every all intents and purposes, they are clinical nurse specialists. And they were actually one of the first group of registered nurses to take up um, the opportunity to prescribe. And, in fact, that's where we did the pilot study. And I, along with another colleague, I did the... Um, the evaluation of the pilot study okay. of diabetes nurse uh, specialists prescribing, and, and we were really thrilled with the results. Mm. Excellent. Okay. So that's another good message there. That don't always trust the The, the role title. title. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They can be pretty ad hoc. Okay. Sure. Yes. And it's good to know that because, again, you know, as a mm. student coming into an environment, I think mm. you often latch onto the job titles and try and scribble them all down in your notebook and go home and figure out what they all mean. That's right. But it might be. I'll tell you one of the most ridiculous examples which perhaps captures this. There's a particular fund that goes into general practice known as Care Plus. Okay. And it's a special fund that allows uh, patients who've got um, had more than two hospital admissions in the previous year and have more than three, I think, chronic conditions to have some additional services. And so we started hearing about Care Plus nurses. Right. <laughs> and that just tells you. I mean, it's just ridiculous. It's a funding stream. Mm. They, weren't, they weren't doing anything different than any other primary health care nurse, but because their position was funded from that stream, somebody tacked that title on. 
drives me mad. Doesn't really tell you anything about their no, actual role. No. It seems like you're describing a sort of a sort of a cowboyism to um, nurse job titles, mm-hmm. and it mm-hmm. seems to be mostly in primary care. Does that relate to a bit more the fact yeah. that primary care obviously is you know a semi-private yes. sort of area, and it's yes. it's harder to regulate how we understand. Yes, and it has less clear leadership structures for mm. nursing. Mm. So other people may set up job descriptions and determine those. Yeah. Okay, good. Um, and the, the last one I briefly wanted to mention was I see I see staff nurse on some people's name badge. Is that any different to a registered nurse? No, that is, that's really a hospital-based registered nurse. They're pretty much always referred to as staff nurses. Okay, cool. Mm. So not, not a separate qualification no, or no, role? No, no, no. Excellent. I think that's helpful, though. I think you've given us a, a good structure in which to kind of uh, rationalise some of those roles. And, cool. Yeah. Maybe now would be a good time to talk a bit more about nurse practitioner role. Sure. Um, and I, as I understand, you're quite involved in, in mm-hmm. the establishment of that role in New been. Zealand. Yeah, I have been. So could you maybe just talk briefly about the history of the nurse practitioner role and maybe the... I mean, okay. you told us about the sort of yep. the, the scope of practice. Yep. Maybe a bit more on the philosophy of it and how it came to okay. be. Okay. So the United States has had nurse practitioners for over 60 years. And I was part of a ministerial task force in 1998 in New Zealand, which was beginning to look at... Uh, some of the impending changes and the workforce challenges that were coming in New Zealand and are still coming, well, have come. Um, We made a decision then that we would launch the nurse practitioner role in New Zealand. Australia did it about the same time and so did Canada. Um, We began, we structured the master's education because we'd had a master's degree for a long time, but it had been very much a master's degree that developed researchers and teachers. So around about 1998-99 we developed the clinical master's degree. Nurses started coming through that. Um, Nursing Council developed the competencies and outlined for a separate scope of practice. When the Health Practitioners Competency Assurance Bill went through in 2003 it became a separate identified scope and we started authorising nurse practitioners at that point. There are now approximately 220 nurse practitioners in New Zealand but there are probably about a thousand nurses who've actually completed the qualification but because the sector has been quite slow to create nurse practitioner positions a lot of the nurses who've done the qualification actually haven't gone through for authorization Mm. which is a terrible waste of Mm. resource because in fact the government has invested quite heavily in that in that education We're noticing now that both aged care and general practice are searching quite frantically for nurse practitioners because of workforce shortages. And so I imagine we'll see the number increase quite quickly. But there's still a high level of kind of ignorance and lack of understanding, particularly amongst medical colleagues, (laughs) about who a modern nurse practitioner is, and many of them still see the role as very threatening. Um, one of the things that we were uh, inspired by is that there's been a massive amount of research done internationally comparing nurse practitioners with medical practitioners, and no one has ever, ever found a nurse practitioner to be unsafe or to uh, reduce the quality of patient outcomes. Most of the research, uh, in fact all of the research has de- developed or has demonstrated an astonishing degree of equivalence. Our own research in New Zealand, uh, one of our staff here, Alison Pirrett, did her PhD 
blind uh, comparing diagnostic uh, capability between final year registrars and nurse practitioners trained mm. in New Zealand and there was no statistical difference in their diagnostic decision making right. and their mm. um, you know their management plan and that they that was blind peer reviewed by a panel of consultants in New Zealand so it's quite strong research mm, it is and that was good for us because it kind of gave us an affirmation that the master's degree is sound and is producing nurse practitioners who are safe. What else can I say? Ask me another question. <laughs> Maybe just so going back to the real basics, mm-hmm. the, 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 the philosophy of a nurse practitioner. Okay. So we, talked brief, we, we kind of talked about how the philosophy of a CNS might yes. perhaps kind of bridge that gap between nursing and, and yep. doctoring in general. Mm-hmm. How do you see nurse practitioners? Well, in exactly the same way. Sure. So what, what nurse practitioners themselves say is that they are first and foremost nurses mm. and that they've taken on the additional, um, you, you know, they've added to their basket of skills by taking on the ability to diagnose and prescribe and, and prepare a management plan, etc. We see that as enabling them to provide the full episode of care to more people. Mm. And we also see them as um, realising that there are many patients for whom that particular package of of care is really useful. Um, All of them would tell you that they work in a highly collaborative style with medical colleagues, um, but that they are quite safe to provide the full episode of care, particularly in primary health care, Mm. quite often in mental health care and frequently in aged care. Okay. Mm. Fair to say that those are the three sort of key areas that nurse practitioners are currently working in. in yes, New Zealand. early on, our, our first sort of pioneering nurse practitioners tended to have been clinical nurse specialists, and so the early ones often had quite a defined scope of practice, and they were in respiratory care or diabetes um, or mental health. More latterly, we've we've seen them coming out in the much broader scopes, which Mm. was always our intention. But in the early days, those who got support to go through for the role were in those clinical nurse specialist roles. Whereas now they're not necessarily coming through that pathway. Mm. They're coming from registered nurse to nurse practitioner. And some of them may even be setting out with that goal in mind. They do, exactly. So it's kind of morphed over the 16 or 17 years we've been doing it. Great. So some changes over the years, but as you say, there's, there's... plenty of convincing research to show that actually it's, it's going in a really great direction and, yep. and things are working really well. Yep, so we're, that's, very, that's we're awesome. very happy. Excellent, yeah. okay. Mm. The future of nurse practitioners in New Zealand? I mean, a natural question for me that comes out of the, the prevalence of nurse practitioners in primary care and the scope of practice there in terms of the okay. things you've mentioned, diagnostics and management. I guess I'd put it to you, you know, what do you see as the future of nurse practitioners? Mm. Will, we, will we end up with the role of a general practitioner, there just being two pathways into that role. You can either do it through a nurse practitioner pathway or an MPCHB medical pathway. What do you think about that? Well, this is probably going to be the most provocative section of this, <laughs> of this interview, so, and I'm going to be incredibly honest. I'm actually not sure this country can afford general practitioners going into the future. And I do want to pay respect to the enormous number of GPs who are out there who are who are fantastic. I have a fabulous GP myself. But looking into the future, I think if we look at the indicators, medical students do not choose general practice as uh, frequently as they used to. Um, but certainly 
there's some sense that medical students are voting with their feet around choosing other options. Um, the predictions of our general practitioner workforce are really dire in that 85% of them, I think, are over 45 and a lot are over 55. Yeah. So we've got quite a, quite a big gap coming up. Mm. It costs about 600000 for the country to produce a GP. It costs 120000 to produce an NP. Their scope of service is actually identical. Right. So I see where this is going. <laughs> you can see where this is going. Yeah. And I, look, I'm being very honest. No, and this I'm is wearing, great. I'm wearing my workforce, you know, task force hats and all of those things. So whilst it might be lovely to have a general practitioner, and and most of us have had that privilege, um, it may not be what we can afford mm. as a country going into the future, and maybe the expense of a medical education justifies doing something different. Understood. Wow, yeah. that's mm. awesome. That's <laughs> certainly not something I expected to hear coming into no. the interview. Now, that's really interesting to me as well because I, I did talk to a nurse practitioner a couple of weeks back right. and I put the same question to her after she explained to me the role of a nurse practitioner mm-hmm. in, in her words. And she said, oh, no, I don't, I don't think that could ever happen. She said, word for word what you said, we're first and foremost nurses. Yes. And she said, I think that we'll all mm. always benefit from that mm-hmm. sort of um, collaborative practice. Yep. Again, another thing you've alluded to. Yep. So very interesting to hear you not only come back from that, but go completely in the other direction. And say, right. Yeah. So that's, that's fascinating. Well, I think some of that might be to do with the fact that she's a nurse practitioner sitting in practice. She, it's very important for her to build good collegial relationships with the people she works with. Mm. It's a little safer for me as an academic. <laughs> in your ivory tower. In my ivory tower <laughs> to be provocative and challenging. Yeah. And so that might be where our different perspectives come from. Mm. And, and I think if I go back to what I said, it might be the absolute gold standard to always have those collaborative teams, but pragmatically it may not be what we can afford mm. as a very small country mm. with huge workforce challenges and service. I mean, rural areas struggling for staff. Yeah. Um, we just have to be pragmatic. The workforce challenges you are talking about mm. is something that, as medical students, we're made aware of mm. right from day one, really. Mm. And you can see why. Mm. So yeah, great to hear a new potential solution mm. to that. But we, I guess we better move on with um, with the next topic. So mm-hmm. thanks very much for that. It's some really, really interesting stuff to think about there. Was there anything else you'd like to say about the future of nursing in New Zealand? We kind of focused on the nurse practitioner role. Uh, well, uh, yes, one more. I think having just spoken about the enormous demands on nurses working in hospital wards, I think we're going to have to have, to have some very serious talks about um, the role of healthcare assistants and um, some degree of delegation of a great deal more care to healthcare assistants. Personally, I'd like to see a world where the registered nurse actually has the primary relationship with the patient, certainly writes their nursing care plan, oversees their admission and discharge, but is able to delegate a great deal more to a, to a healthcare assistant because I'm just not sure that the way they're working now is either desirable or sustainable. Mm. Mm. Briefly on healthcare assistants, we mentioned enrolled nurses earlier. How, how do we understand the difference between healthcare assistants and enrolled nurses? Personally, I think it's a confusion, but that is a personal role. They're regulated and they have a recognised education. So the advantage is that a registered nurse delegating to an enrolled nurse knows exactly who they're delegating to. Mm. That's an advantage. 
with a healthcare assistant, they may have a six-week introductory course. They might have, might, might have done a one-year caregiver's course. And so the problem is that the healthcare assistant is an unknown quantity. Mm. And my argument has always been that we should regulate the training of, of care assistants and so that registered nurses delegating to them know know who they're delegating to and know what they can expect. Sure. And that would be a very clean solution. Okay. Um, but we haven't done that yet. Could we now move on to perhaps the meat of the discussion in a sense, for medical students and, and doctors soon to be, mm-hmm. what are some of the problems that nurses encounter mm. when working with doctors? Um, tensions in the interprofessional relationship mm. or simply difficulties that we encounter as a, as a partnership when trying to take care of patients in the best way we can? Mm. And, and I guess then what can medical students or doctors to be do to mm. improve things? You're right, it is the meat of the topic and it is a problem area. And it's something I think about a great deal. There was a wonderful conference once at McGill University and the title was What Doctors Need to Hear and What Nurses Need to Say. And in some ways that sums up the conversation we need to have about this. I think the fault is on both sides. Mm. The, the fact that there is a degree of interprofessional tension. I've, I think we are as much to blame as your colleagues are mm. to blame for what goes on. Um, There's a lot written about nursing as an oppressed group. I wish that wasn't still the case, but I think it is. And I think nurses do a great deal to continue to present themselves and to behave like an oppressed group, which horrifies me. Mm. If you look around, you'll see various places, and I I, I still see this, particularly in primary care, you'll see uh, nurses working in consulting rooms where their name is not on the door, but the doctor's names are on the door. If you look outside the practice on the on the you know the board outside, every health professional in that practice, the physio, the midwife, the GPs have all got their names and credentials. The nurses are not there. I don't know why nurses accept that. I don't know why the owners of the practice think that's okay. But it speaks to a kind of sense that nurses are this great sort of amorphous, invisible mm. mass that will simply take care of matters. And they're sort of anonymous and interchangeable. Yes. Faceless. Yes, yes right. exactly. Mm. And it's been like this since time immemorial, and I don't know what it would take to change it. And I think that it's quite easy for doctors, because the system itself places, the health system places tremendous value on diagnosis and management, and much less value on the caring for, the being with, the kind of seeing to the continuum of care, Mm. that that kind of places nursing lower on a hierarchy. And you and I might not want that hierarchy to exist, but we'd be naive to think it doesn't exist. Sure. Yeah. And so you come into the world knowing that you're the top dog. (laughs) You personally may not think that. I mean, I'm sure you're far too nice to think that. But actually, there is a hierarchy, and you'd be very quickly learning about your place in that hierarchy. And nurses, similarly, uh, I mean, you go to multidisciplinary meetings, and nurses don't speak mm. because they feel overawed, intimidated, and disempowered. And they may be highly educated, and they may have spent far more time with the patient than anyone else in that meeting. But they learn very quickly that the kind of knowledge they have about the patient is not valued. Mm. 
and isn't considered germane to the decisions being made. And so they become silent. And that silence becomes self-perpetuating. And then when, when you have students in the room, they're observing this, and so yes. the, the nursing students are learning to stay that's silent. That's right, that's right. And the right. medical students are learning to, yep. you know, sort of reinforce that. That's right. Mm. And so this has gone on for years and years, and I'm not sure how we'll ever change it. Do you see that, do you see that as the core issue then? I think it is, yeah. because... It means that, uh, I mean, you take that right back to the financial level. We started at the beginning talking about new public management. And health managers pick up on the sort of hegemonic power of medicine. And they too become um, sort of worshipful of that power. And um, so when they're balancing the bottom line, they think, oh my God, look what we're spending on nurses. We surely don't need this many of them. So it's sort of a self-fulfilling prophecy. And so, Yes, so it plays out in that nursing is seen as a cost rather than a resource. Again, some quite sort of confronting stuff there yes. to think about. So, so what can medical students do to, mm. to improve that? I guess maybe simple things like learning the nurses' names. Yeah talking to the nursing students and, and trying yep. to... Do you know, that's a very good question. Um, one of my PhD students did an amazing ethnography of bedside practice in a large hospital in New Zealand. And one of his findings was that nurses are the most interrupted profession in the multidisciplinary team. And so the, every single person who comes into the ward thinks, oh, where's the nurse? Um, nurses described they would be in the medication room getting a patient's medication and a doctor would simply walk in and pick up the patient's chart and disappear with it and the nurse would have to put all the medication away, lock the medication cupboard, wait till the chart was available, retrieve it and go back and start counting out the medication again. And I think that little story encapsulates Mm. something about the relationship, the assumption it is. And I don't think anybody means ill, it's just how they think. And so this interruptibility goes on at every level. Every single person coming into the ward speaks to the nurse. Where's, where's my patient? Where's so-and-so? Who's coming for this? And they can hardly think straight half the day. It must be ghastly. Mm. And of course with the turnover if you think that in 1989 the average length of stay for patients in hospital was 14 and a half days it's now 4.5 days and so the churn is just huge and the impact of that is going to be disproportionately felt oh, by nurses very much so mm. it means that they don't have a minute to think straight and most of us would agree that the nursing care delivered to patients in acute hospital wards now falls way below what we would want it to be mm. But it's just impossible to, to do it any better. I get the sense that the problem here is simply a lack of understanding of mm-hmm. what a nurse's role is. Mm-hmm. And so hopefully, you know, understanding the role of a nurse better mm-hmm. and understanding that they are just like anyone, they are a health professional in the environment with a mm-hmm. defined role. Mm-hmm. You need to respect that role, yep. not interrupt them when they're yep. completing that role, mm-hmm. as opposed to seeing them as, like you said, the same amorphous mass that's just present, tinkering yeah. away at small tasks yeah. that can yeah. be can be interrupted dispensed with or done later Mm. non-essential so maybe it's just again a a better awareness so one other thing I wanted to ask you was about how much nurses learn about working with doctors during their education so as we've talked about doctors learn nothing Nothing. about how to work with nurses 
do nurses during their training think about or are taught about how to interact with doctors? Simple answer is probably no. Okay. Mm. So it's a symmetrical problem yeah, there. Yeah, it is yeah. a symmetrical <laughs> problem, yeah. That's a short answer. Mm. <laughs> do you see that as something that, that nurses would benefit from in their curriculum or... Or maybe perhaps because they do learn know, more on the I, job from day one, they don't necessarily need it like we, like I think we do. whatever we taught them would be overwhelmed by their experiences in, in practice. Mm. Um, we know, again, from the research that we've done, that we teach nurses to think and approach practice in particular ways, but they very quickly find that the environment has different expectations. Sure. And I think whatever we taught them about working with doctors would would be overwhelmed by their experiential learning and practice. Mm. Mm. So it sounds like the doctors are really the, the targets for that education, for better or for worse, you know. I think they have more power and opportunity to change how it is. Yeah. Thanks so much for coming on the show. It's been amazing and I've learned so much and I really hope that those listening will, will take away those same points. Before we finish, is there anything else that you'd like to say to junior doctors or doctors soon to be? I think uh, it's, I'm so impressed that you're doing this uh, project. I think it's hugely valuable. I think that uh, for junior doctors coming into the profession, it's a huge challenge to resist the socialization that occurs as it is for nursing. And I think the most we can achieve is to raise awareness of that socialisation and to realise that what the data tells us internationally is that patient safety is the greatest when the collaboration between doctors and nurses is at its best. And that should sober all of us. Thank you.